So I'm going to give a presentation on the Torah as the bedrock of Scripture. This is our season of celebrating the conclusion of the Torah readings and also beginning them afresh once again. The Word of God is alive. It's living. It's a revelation of God to us. And so every time we read it over and over and over, there are new things that we come to understand. It's forever yielding new insights that before have not been understood by us. It's something we grow into, if you will. So today we celebrate the Torah as the bedrock of all Scripture. Keep in mind that even the apostolic Scriptures rely on the books of Moses for their legitimacy. In fact, it's almost impossible to understand the words of Jesus and his apostles without the foundational first five books of Moses. Therefore, we as a community will exalt and commemorate the Torah, these indispensable books, for without them, our scriptures are diminished and anemic at best. The scriptures originate and come to us from God through men whom he anointed and inspired to write his words to us. Let's begin with 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. A passage that we're all familiar with. It says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. I want you to think of the word inspired. All scripture is inspired. And what that simply means is that it originates in God. It comes from God. It's his ideas, his thoughts, his ways, truths about everything seen and unseen. It is a revelation of reality. In fact, it is the keys to living and prospering and flourishing in this realm, in this universe in the very creation that God has made. And it goes on to say that his word is profitable. It's profitable for teaching. What it means is that you can bring and share his word with all of those around you, and it will bring blessing and liberation. It's also good for reproof, for criticism, for pointing out what is wrong. I know that's taboo today, right? Everyone's so sensitive, you know, but you know what? It's important for us to not only understand the difference between right and wrong, but also when we're in the wrong to have other people help us by telling us when we're off track. The word of God does that and not on its own, but through those who embrace it as a way of life. It's good for reproof and correction. Reproof tells us that we're off track. Correction tells us how to get on track. Okay? So reproof is, hey, you're off track and here's why and, and, uh, um, and, and here's how you get back on track. If you want to get back on track, here's the path. The Word of God does that for us. And it's also good for training in righteousness. 
which is an interesting word. It's a really big word. There's so many nuances in this Greek word that we translate righteousness, but within this context, it's talking about right living, right? The Word of God is, is there to show us what it means to live life uh, within the, the integrity of rightness, of righteousness, to live in accordance with what is right and virtuous. That's important. Here's a big question. When it says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, what does that mean? What does it mean that all scripture can do this? What scripture? What two things, here's another question, what two things did the New Testament church not have? A New Testament and a church. It's kind of funny, isn't it, when you think about it? Yeah, because the earliest Gentile believers who were joining the Messianic Jewish believers, they all went to synagogue or to temple. They didn't have a New Testament. What, what Bible do you think they had? They had the Bible Jesus had. And what Bible was he able to access? The Tanakh, yes. That was the Bible of the day. And Tanakh, T-N-K, is an acronym for the three sections of the Hebrew Bible. The Torah, the Prophets, and the Writings. Torah, Netukim, or Nevaim, and Ketu, uh, Ketubah, or Ketuim. The Torah, the Prophets, and the Writings, or the Wisdom Literature like the Psalms and the Proverbs. Now, sometimes um, it's referred to as just simply the Law and the Prophets or the Torah and the Prophets. In some places, it's just the Torah and the Prophets. And the reason why is when you look at the writings like the Psalms and the Proverbs, they're written by prophets too. In fact, the whole Tanakh is written by prophets. And so many times what you'll find is the writers, even Jesus himself, will qualify the Tanakh under the two categories of Moses and the prophets. But this was the Bible of Jesus' day. There was no New Testament written. That would take quite some time to come into being. We'll get back to that in a minute. My point is this. The Torah is the foundation for all of the scriptures. The Torah is even the foundation for the later prophets and their books. John chapter 5, verse 46 through 47, Yeshua here is speaking to some of his kinsmen, and he says this, For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Interesting, isn't that? Think about the ramifications of that. Moses, the first five books written for us. Jesus says, if you don't believe his words, how will you believe mine? Another way to say that is, if you don't understand Moses, how are you going to understand me? What does that imply? What it implies is that Jesus is actually going to come and interpret the words of Moses. Because the words of Moses are the foundational words of the scriptures. They're the origin 
of the scriptures. Everything's going to flow out of them and then later be developed. What Moses wrote, Yeshua exegeted. He came to explain and to interpret. In fact, let me give you a passage, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. We all know this one. There's a rumor going around about Jesus that in his teachings, he's doing away with the Torah. And he's here to dispel the rumor. This is how he dispels it. He says in verse 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. There he is using the two categories to sum up the Tanakh. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now the word fulfill is an interesting word because in the first century, it had uh, a markedly different uh, definition than what we give to it today in our culture. But in the first century, if you were a Torah teacher, if you were a rabbi that taught Torah, you had students. And so the job of the students, of course, was to interpret Moses. And so a lot of times what the rabbi would do is he would give a section of, of, of Moses to the students. He maybe would break the students up into two, two groups. And he'd say, okay, here's the passage. Work on it. Tell me what it means. And then after they worked on it for a while, they had one in their group that would represent their group. And he would stand up and he'd say, okay, rabbi, this is what, the, what Moses uh, said and this is what it means. And if they correctly interpreted the Torah, guess what he would say? Bravo, you have fulfilled the Torah. What did that mean? It simply meant that they correctly interpreted the Torah. And if you correctly interpret the Torah, guess what? You can make application and bring transformation in your life, your communities, and the world that you live in. However, if the students got it wrong, if, 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 if one in the group stood up and said, well, this is what it means, and he misunderstood, he did not exegete it properly, the rabbi would say, you have abolished the Torah. The rabbi would accuse him of abolishing the Torah. Why? Because if you misinterpret the Torah, you cannot apply it correctly. It will not have an effect. At worst, it'll have a bad effect. So in the first century, the word fulfill was in relationship to interpreting the Torah. So what Jesus is saying here is this. As a young rabbi teaching so many thousands of people and being accused now that my interpretations are incorrect and therefore misleading Israel, let me put that to rest. I didn't come to misinterpret Moses and abolish the Torah. I came to correctly interpret Moses and let's bring out the fullest intended meaning that Moses had given us or God through Moses had given us. He goes on to say, for truly, truly, I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Is there still a heaven? Is there still an earth? That's right, you know, the Torah remains intact and relevant for our lives. It has not been done away with. It's been established through Yeshua. He says, my interpretation is going to be so spot on, if he was from the British Isles, right? <laughs> he says, it won't even do away with the least of the words of Torah. 
not even the decorative strokes that are meaningless, that just beautifies the letters on the Torah. It won't even disrupt those. Verse 19, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The who's who's list of scholars. When you think about the big scholars of our days, of the various denominations and the volumes of books written, and so, so many of them saying that the Torah has been done away with, that you've been freed from the law, the law is no longer relevant for you as a believer. They may be ranked high in the who's who of our earthly ideas of who's who, but in the kingdom, they're considered the least. They are rookies at best. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is a very important concept. It's a very important message when you think about it. They're very books that are marginalized are actually the foundations of all of the scriptures. The books of Moses, without them, are pretty much lost. How shall we understand the words of Jesus when we can't even, when we say Moses shouldn't even be read anymore, right? I've been in churches. I've been to New Testament churches where in, in the pews they have just New Testaments. I asked the pastor one time, I said, well, uh, is, do you have a whole Bible or we're a New Testament church? I said, what does that mean? We believe in the New Testament. The Old Testament's been done away with. That's why we only have New Testaments in our church. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how are you going to understand it? When the context is Moses. When the backdrop, the antecedent theology arises out of Moses. How, how do you do that? You know, that's like trying to teach someone calculus who has never took math or algebra or any of the basics, right? How, how are they going to understand calculus? The other books that come after Moses, including the apostolic scriptures, all of those other books, they're actually judged by Moses. One of the criteria for a book to be part of the canon of Scripture is that it must support and be in alignment with Torah. Did you know that? So, so, so the Torah actually gained uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, the idea that it was sacred and inspired by God. We would equate that with canon almost immediately. Because of the signs and wonders that God did through Moses in Egypt, they knew this was God's man. I mean, you, you know what? God says, Moses, by the time I'm done working through you, signs and wonders, 
the people of Israel will believe in you forever. he's He's the foreshadowing. He's the type and shadow of Jesus. So his words, his writings became instantly accepted as sacred and inspired by God, originating and coming from God. And then from that point on, every other prophet that wrote a book, and there was many, many other writings, most of which never made the grade. Because if your writings as a prophet contradicted what Moses had already given, your book was not included in, 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 in what was considered the inspired sacred text. That was one of the criteria. Has to line up with the Torah. Isaiah 8, 19 through 20, speaking of the false prophets, right? Isaiah says, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Think about this for a moment. Shall they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Do you know that what qualifies an Elohim as being an Elohim Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, is they have to be part of the spirit realm. When a, person's, when a person dies and his spirit leaves his body, his spirit goes to the realm of the spirits, goes to the spirit realm. And it's included in the classification of the Hebrew term Elohim. That's why people want to contact the dead. Because the idea is, is they have information we don't have from, this, from the other side. So when it says, why would you consult the dead? It's not talking about talking to the dead corpse. It's, talk, it's about connecting with their departed spirits and trying to gain knowledge and information from the spirit realm. And, and, and so... And that's how all the spiritists did it. That's how, that's how people channel today. You, you, know, you know, people pay thousands of, thousands of dollars to have these spiritists channel for them concerning their lives, like the fortune tellers and the palm readers and all that. There's people that channel. And what they do is they connect with the spirit world and they channel, they allow these spirits to speak and give information to people that are paying for it. So those people can be successful in life, prosperous in life, or for whatever reasons they might do that, sometimes for, for evil purposes as well. But regardless, they seek the dead or the departed spirit of the dead. This is what Isaiah says. To the law and to the testimony. In Hebrew, to the Torah. To the Torah and the testimony. If they do not speak in accordance to this word, it's because they have no dawn, which is synonymous with the rising of the sun or light. Light, which is a figure of speech for revelation. If they don't speak in alignment with what Moses gave, it's because they have no light. They have no revelation. It's a ruse. It's a lie. 
It'll destroy your life in the end. Don't listen to them. So again, we have this idea that Moses reigns supreme when it comes to revelation. The Tanakh is the revelation of Messiah. It's a revelation of his mission. It's a revelation of his coming kingdom. Luke 24, 44, Jesus on the road uh, to Emmaus, post-resurrection, speaking to the disciples, says this, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the Torah, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, there's the three categories, must be fulfilled. The Torah is about revealing the Messiah. The Torah prepares us for Messiah. The Torah discloses all kinds of things about who Jesus is and what he's going to do and when he comes again. Jesus says it's right there. Luke 16, 16 through 17. The law, and this is the word, when we come across this word law, when it's capitalized in the apostolic scriptures, it's from the Hebrew word Torah. Nomos in the Greek and then Torah in the Hebrew. He says, the Torah and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. The Torah is all about the coming Messiah and his kingdom. The sages even talked about epochs or eras. They talked about the era of the Torah, and that the era of the Torah would precede the era of Messiah, that when Messiah came, then the era of the Torah would be over and the era of Messiah would begin. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the law and the prophets, which actually proclaimed me and my kingdom, are now taking a back seat because I'm here now and I've brought my kingdom and everyone is forcing their way into it. Now keep in mind that the Torah taking a back seat to Yeshua and his kingdom does not mean it's being eliminated. That doesn't mean it's being done away with. In fact, he goes on in the next verse. He says what? It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Now, what I want to do is I want to take our passage we started with, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, and I want to read it in its context. Now, now let's set it within its literary and cultural context, keeping in mind the Torah and how that gives its legitimacy, legitimacy to it. Let's see now what that kind of is saying. Second Timothy 3, I'm going to begin with verse number 1. Make my way down. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Can I get an Amen. Fauci, okay, sorry. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, 
irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Yeah, we're here now, aren't we? This is really the description of human nature in its, in its reckless abandonment to sin and shame. Paul here is telling a young pastor, stay away from these types of people. It's interesting that they have a form of godliness. They do, and they do it well. They have ritual, ordinances, churches. But they are not in alignment with the Torah. They deny the power of God that transforms a life and brings it in to alignment with who God is and what virtue is and what it means to be loving and caring and responsible with the creation that God has given to us. 2 Timothy verses 10 and on. He says to Timothy, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. That's slide 37. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The world hates Jesus. This world hates Jesus. This world is Babylon. Babel, when all the nations, you know, rebelled and God scattered them and gave them to the Elohim who had also rebelled against him. Well, they've kind of brought them all together and against God and his anointed and his people. They hate him. And so as you and I and anybody else identifies with Yeshua, the Messiah, we too will be persecuted in this world. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And here's our backdrop to our passage, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you... You've known since the time you were a boy the sacred writings. What's that a reference to? The Tanakh. And specifically the Torah, which is the foundations of the Tanakh. Yeah, Timothy, you have had those all along. And those writings contain the wisdom, the revelation of the Messiah. They give you what you need to encounter the Messiah and to be saved. These sacred writings are what Jesus referred to as the law and the prophets. And then comes our verse. All scripture, the Tanakh, 
from, from the beginning five books all the way through what we call the Hebrew Scriptures, all Scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I want to make it very clear that the law and the prophets, what we call mistakenly, and it's, 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 it's a crying shame for lack of a phrase I'd be in trouble with. It's a crying shame. that we call it the Old Testament. It doesn't call itself the Old Testament. It's the Word of God. It's the sacred Word of God. It's the holy words of God. That text, the Torah and the prophets, the Tanakh, what Christians call the Old Testament is what Paul is saying is inspired without error, sacred and holy. Never forget that. It's not set aside. It remains forever. It's one with God. You say, well, what about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament is part of canon too. In fact, it passed higher standards than even what the, the prophets had to pass to get connected with the canon of Torah. Higher standards. Yes, the New Testament, what, what we call the New Testament, the apostolic scriptures. Yes, it's inspired too. Absolutely. It's the very interpretation of the words of Moses. Jesus interprets and applies the words of Moses. That's why the New Testament scriptures are also inspired. But this passage, when Paul is talking, is specifically about the Tanakh. The very thing that we say is old. And by saying it's old, we say it's replaced with the new. And then we marginalize it, discredit it, neglect it. So what makes a Messianic congregation different than most Christian congregations? The Torah. We love and embrace all of the inspired sacred writings of the Tanakh and of the apostolic scriptures. And that's what makes us different from most Christian congregations which neglect what they call the Old Testament. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Think of the church and the synagogue. And what we have in light of this message is primarily two great traditions. One of which that says, we believe in the Torah, we have the Tanakh, but we reject the revelation given in the apostolic scriptures. And then we have the church. 
It says we have the revelation of Messiah as presented in the Apostolic Scriptures, but we neglect and even reject the Torah. And I'm saying that both of those traditions are deficient for those very reasons. In a Messianic congregation, you have those traditions coming together and celebrated. We believe in Yeshua the Messiah, the only way to the Father. And we embrace the ways of God as a way of life. Like Revelation states, here's the perseverance of the believers, those who believe in Jesus and keep the commandments of God. A Messianic congregation celebrates the union of the Scriptures as revealed in both Moses, the prophets, and Jesus and the apostles. As a result, our values, our traditions, our way of life, well, it makes us markedly different than most other Christian and Jewish organizations. I love it, though. I know in my spirit it's right to embrace all of the Scripture, not parts of it. All of it. I say all, the, all of the Bible or none of it. Either we accept all of it or we discard all of it. How do you just pick and choose? How could that be right? So in conclusion, the Torah is the bedrock of all the scriptures. It's the early, earliest revelation of God to us. Moses is the forerunner of Yeshua, and his writings are also revelations about Yeshua and his mission. Yeshua came to correctly clarify and interpret the words of Moses and the subsequent prophets. And today we celebrate the Torah as the very foundations of all the later sacred writings. And we have not, nor ever will neglect or discard two-thirds of God's Word, whom many ignorantly call the Old Testament. Please don't call it the Old Testament. Call it the Word of God. Call it the Tanakh. Call it the Law. Whatever. But it's not the Old Testament. The Old Testament is referred to in those sacred scriptures. But it's not the sacred scriptures. It was the covenant that God made with Moses, not the scriptures themselves. The whole Bible or none of it. This is what's making us different than most churches or synagogues today. We are Messianic precisely because we believe and embrace Yeshua as the Messiah and the entirety of God's Word found in the Tanakh and the Apostolic Scriptures.